Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth in your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello and welcome back to Belonging. It's Becca Piastrelli here recording the final episode of Belonging for 2018. It's just before solstice and it is time to hibernate in a major way. I was just on some calls today where I was trying to plan out 2019 and I just had to call it. My brain was mush my bones are tired, I'm chilly and sleepy and foggy and just generally ready to go inward as we approach the solstice, just really taking space to be still, be in this time of dreaming and instead of planning and and being tactical to really just be dreaming in what's to come So I've learned after being in business for over five years now that it's best to just shut down shop. For me, it's mid-January or mid-December and I come back to life somewhere around the first week of January. But I really just see what my energy tells me, what my body needs and just find some stillness and presence with my community and in my body, of course, this year, I'm moving the week of solstice, moving into Tim in my first home. There's a lot to be done. And so I've been asking myself, if my ancestors were mo- had to move house the week of the solstice, how would they do that? Lots of cups of tea, lots of sleep at night, and slow and steady. So before I say over and out for 2018, I have a very tender (laughs) episode to share with you today. 
which is to share my story of being a woman who has had multiple miscarriages. I actually haven't really shared this much, but I had my third miscarriage the beginning of November, just around Samhain this year. And I kept it pretty close because it needed to be kept close. And I have I invited my friend on to have a conversation with me. Her name is Jenny Heffernan Brown, and she's a dear friend of mine. And we met at a co-working space, and I share we share more about that in the conversation. But Jenny has walked this path as well, and we both just have some things to say, both as a catharsis for us to be witnessed by all of you in our story, in our particular journey to motherhood but also in what we've learned about grief and how to support a friend who's grieving and what it means to be a woman alive now seeking the path of motherhood. So this is very vulnerable for both of us. So I wanted to set the tone before we move to our conversation, which is to say first uh, a content warning that we do talk about pregnancy loss. We talk about miscarriage. We mention body parts and what happens to our bodies. So use discernment here with whether or not you feel you are able to listen, knowing what you know about yourself and your trauma. And also to let you know that we're totally okay. Jenny and I are totally okay. We each have supportive medical teams and healers and communities and family. I'll speak for myself. I feel so supported and so held. So uh, in the spirit of witnessing, which is asking you to virtually sit in circle and purely just receive the information we're sharing. See me sitting across from you in circle, speaking my truth even if there's tears running down my cheeks and snot coming out of my nose, which is what happened in this conversation, and you don't need to hand me a tissue, and you don't need to give me advice or tell me the story about your friend who had four miscarriages and then had a pregnancy, or what worked for you, or anything. I ask for your witness in this and your love, because I got me, and I'm so good. I'm so good. Yeah, and I really thank you for pressing play on this one and listening to a really intimate and beautiful and healing conversation I had with Jenny about our path to becoming mothers. Have a beautiful solstice, and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, so I guess we're getting started. So hi, everyone. It's Becca here, and I'm bringing on the first guest to belonging, which is my friend Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Hi. (laughs) We're sitting in my cottage, which is the last week I'm living in this cottage before I move. I like hugged a door frame. Yeah, <laughs> we're, it's beautiful. It's the end of an era. Yeah. Totally. We're drinking tea that I grew in my garden here. We're having chamomile and lemon verbena. And I invited on Jenny to talk about something that has been happening for both of us over the past, for me, it's been two years. 
two years, maybe two. even two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, Jenny and I have had multiple miscarriages mm-hmm. in our journey to trying to be mothers, <laughs> whatever that means. Eventual and, family. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we've been friends and partners in this journey mm-hmm. of grief and of sorrow and of pain and of confusion and all of it. And I just recently had my second miscarriage. Well, technically my third, because I had a chemical pregnancy in there. Yep. Right. Yeah. Same. My whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) According to the doctors, that doesn't count, but it counts. Right. So I had that in November, really recently. Mm -hmm. So I'm ready to talk about it. And I asked Jenny to talk about it with me. So here we are. Here we are. So um, I thought I would tell people how I know you. Yep. This random Jenny Heffernan Brown, <laughs> unless you're a close friend of ours listening to the podcast. Thank you. We love you. Thanks for being there. <laughs> so I met Jenny at the women's corking space called The Hivery mm-hmm. here in Mill Valley, California. How many years ago? Three? I think four. Maybe four. Maybe four. Whoa. I know. We're friends, girl. We're total, (laughs) total friends. Yeah. Jenny was running um, an agency, a marketing agency back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, I liked her spunk. I liked your spunk. And you were the dabblest. I was the dabblest. Which is crazy to think (laughs) how far we've come. Yeah. Yeah. Are you okay with this light? Totally. Okay. Becca looks gorgeous right now. There's like this golden light that's just coming through the window and making her look like a total goddess. Oh, well, I'll take it. So, yeah, we met at the Hivery, and we ended up, we went to New Orleans together mm-hmm. for the Being Boss vacation mm-hmm. last year, and we have a little mastermind we're part of mm-hmm. for female entrepreneurs, but it's so much more than that. It's like deep friendship has evolved. Yeah, totally. It just feels like, actually, we, we you instigated that. And then you were like, I have this vision that we're going to put together this group. And I was like, great, I'll send an email. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, almost three years later, we have this beautiful community of super powerful women that just are changing the world and we get to be a part of it. Yeah. And um, you and Steve spent Thanksgiving with me and Tim this year, which was the most beautiful Thanksgiving I've ever had. Wasn't it? was really good, wasn't it? Yeah. Somebody was like, how was it? They're telling me about their nightmare family, which I'm a family girl. So it was hard for me not to be with my family. Yeah. But you guys, back up, we were in the cottage. It was after the smoke. The smoke was clearing that day. The rain the came. The rain came. It was pouring rain. It was super dark. It was really cold. And there was just beautiful wine. And there was food. And Becca being Becca had like this gorgeous just container to have really like beautiful conversation, very real, but not like too intimate. It just was perfect. And (laughs) just rode that line. (laughs) Yeah. And our spouses were, I feel like Mm, you and I, husbands were there. You and I have deep conversations, but it was really interesting and different to have men and men who are engineer, maybe more linear thinkers, like step into that space. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Because Tim and I were very fresh from this recent miscarriage and it was just too hard to Mm -hmm. be with family. So yeah, we had our own experience. Um, so I guess we should talk about miscarrying now. (laughs) Do you want to maybe just for the people that don't have experience with your history with miscarriage, do you want to give like a short sort of synopsis of like where the journey's been up to this point for you? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I am 33 years old and Tim and I, I don't know why I feel the need to say this, how long we've been married, but maybe, I don't know. Some people time that stuff. We've been married seven and a half years. Oh yeah. We got married the same Same year. (laughs) We got married a couple months apart. And it was no big deal. Yeah. So we, we weren't, we weren't in a rush to get pregnant. I was 25 when I got married. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we were like not the first, like, you know, there's the first group of your friends that has children. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, that's too early for me. But I like watched carefully and took notes about yep. like births yeah. and pregnancy and like types of baby yeah. blessings and showers I liked and all that <laughs> stuff. And like, who's, how does work look like? And yes, do you hate it? Yeah. That's what I was taking notes. <laughs> what are you most miserable about was right. my top question, which was yeah. always lack of sleep. Right. And, you know, Tim and I are, we're really ambitious in our careers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, still are. Mine is, my definition of ambition has changed a lot, but we just, mm-hmm. we didn't feel the pull. Mm-hmm. for a while. And then I hit 30 and mm-hmm. I started to think about it. And I actually remember we were all at a dinner together. Yes. That, with our mastermind. That dinner. <laughs> that changed my outlook on kids. I didn't realize you were, we hadn't gone there yet in our friendship. We had not talked about it, but you I just, it up. so the women in our mastermind, there's, which this is one of my favorite parts. It's a it spans ages. So there's a woman there who's married like in her 60s. I don't even know. I don't even know. Mary's she's elderish. <laughs> she's like glowing goddess, but like her kids are in college. So yes. we'll say that. Like she's done the child rearing thing and she's running like a multi-million dollar family business. So she's managed to navigate all of that. And then there's a couple other parents that maybe have elementary school age or women who have elementary school age kids. And then there's me, you, and one other woman who have no kids. Yeah. And we were... You just sort of showed up and you were like, I would like to talk about how you baby. And everyone's like, what are your questions? And I was, I don't know, I don't think I've ever told you this before. But that was such a groundbreaking conversation because I was petrified. Mm. And like to the point where I couldn't even have that conversation out loud and like in strolls Becca and is just asking all the things that I wanted to talk about, but it felt way too vulnerable. So I kind of like mm. sat on the edge of the conversation. and was like, yeah, me too. Yeah. But like, let you run the show. <laughs> right. I remember you had brought it up at a cacao ceremony. This mm-hmm. is so, such a, like my life is so, <laughs> I know we were at a cacao ceremony like you do. And you had mentioned something to me, but that's all I had heard. You, you said you were interested, but, but you were talking about it with your mm-hmm. partner, but you weren't sure. Yeah. So at that dinner, I basically was curious about how to be like a present conscious mother and also be devoted to your work. Right. And basically they all, oh, and also like still have great sex with your husband and like a vibrant relationship. And Subtext. Like, how do I have kids and still be perfect? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. And we went around, they went around the table and they each answered in their different ways. And then by the end, you and I are both crying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because, and I just looked at you and was like, okay, we're in this, mm-hmm. we're in this. So yeah. how long ago was that? I think it was one of our first meetings. So three years ago, two and a half years ago. It was this, I mean, I think the next year you and I started trying. trying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because it was the summer. Yep. So, yes, yeah, so it was like two and a half years ago. And um, so soon after that conversation and some some moments with Tim where we got really clear into this 
I like to talk about conscious conception. He and I are very conscious about our ability to conceive. Yeah. We had, we didn't have any oops. We didn't have any Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I guess we're pregnant now. Like we said, okay, we're going to start. And, um, it feels like such a big deal. We should talk about that at some point about like, just like the privilege of, of just getting pregnant and not having to like consciously work at it. Right. Anyways. Uh, so we got pregnant immediately mm-hmm. and, um, miscarried. You miscarried in March. So we got pregnant in February, mm-hmm. end of January. Mm-hmm. And I miscarried in March and I, I, I was sharing that I was pregnant around like six, seven weeks. Uh, and then at seven and a half weeks, mm-hmm. right after we told our whole family, which makes me roll my eyes because it just felt so cruel to like tell, mm. specifically tell my family. And then I, we were at my parents' mm. house and we went on FaceTime with my brother who lives in Virginia and we played the heartbeat. Oh, God. <sighs> Playing the heartbeat. So brutal. Ugh. And um, we sh- we got off FaceTime and I went to the bathroom and I... I I, I was ble- spotting and my whole body was like, Oh shit. But I was still in the like, I don't know. Spotting is normal, which but it is. It is. Some women do that and they have perfectly healthy life babies. Yeah. And I went, but I went into my mom's bedroom and I said, I think I'm miscarrying, which is actually in retrospect, it's really cool. I have that relationship with my body that I yeah. had that intuition. You knew. I knew. Like even if people were like, "Don't worry," you sort of had this inner knowing. I did. I did. And about two days later, it got really bad. Mm-hmm. Did the whole like went to the ER, went to radiology. <sighs> I'm fast forwarding over this. I'm probably because I'm nervous to share. Okay, I'm gonna slow it down. I'm gonna slow it down. So really bad cramping, woke up sobbing because I just knew it was true Mm -hmm. and went to the hospital, was like keeled over in pain. And I had to do an hour and a half of paperwork for insurance. And I remember thinking this system is so cruel. The system of healthcare is so cruel. Yeah. And they were like, we know you're hurting, but we just need, and I was like, I am not okay. And I decided to go alone because I didn't want to bother Tim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Never doing that again. Yeah, I was like, not to. I hate that we are not first timers at this, but I'm like, first timers mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always go with a partner. But mm-hmm. then he texted my mom, mm-hmm. and um, unbeknownst to me, I finally get into radiology. They're giving me like an intravaginal um, mm-hmm. ultrasound. Ultrasound, and you know those ultrasound texts with their um, straight faces, just not saying a word, just not saying a word. And she said. You said you heard a heartbeat last week? Oh, God. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. What do you see? And they can't legally yeah, say they legally, anything. The, the tech cannot say anything. For those of you who don't know, it's the same thing with, like, your organs or anything else. Like, the tech, their job is to take pictures and bring it to the radiologist who makes the diagnostic choice. So, like, they legally can defer no information to you. Right. But yet you may be looking at an ultrasound screen and you're desperately looking for a heartbeat and you can't find it and they won't say anything. Except they'll say, you you heard a heartbeat? Which right. is like, what does can, that mean? Yes, you can hear the doubt. You can hear, you can like feel their emotions, but they can't communicate 
so horrible, so cruel. So in between her, the her radiologist coming, so I'm just sitting there on the cold table in a gown, mm-hmm. waiting for the radiologist. My mother bursts in the room. Oh my god! The most beautiful yeah. moment of she was just like pure mama bear yeah. and goes back on. I go mom, <laughs> and she just holds me, oh and I go god. mom. It's this is what she just said. My mom goes, we're just gonna wait, and then the radiologist came in. And I'll forever be so grateful that Tim texted my mom and she raced to the hospital, did whatever she had to do to get back there to hold me so that when I got that news and collapsed in her arms, just just to be told that the heart there's is just not viable anymore. Yeah. And just her holding me and just like I I wasn't I that's interesting, I almost said I wasn't a mom. I don't know if I ever, like, what is motherhood? But I had a moment of just pure sadness and grief over not yet feeling mothered, being a mother and then being mothered at that same time to have my mom say, baby, baby, and just hold me. And I'll just always be so, so grateful for that moment. And then the, the tech looking in my eyes and saying, this is not your fault. <laughs> yeah. This is not your fault. And I was like, I know, I know. Right. And it was like, my head was like, I know, but my heart was like, oh, thank you. Oh, really? That's interesting. Because, right, like ugh, the whole the whole thing around like, why did this happen? Right. Anyways, um, so it, my miscarriage took about, Three to four days. To, I had an I processed it out. Mm-hmm. So so what that means is I didn't have to have any surgery, which mm-hmm. is usually called a DNC. Mm-hmm. I just bled, mm-hmm. and then I passed the what they call products of conception, which is so funny. How like one second it's a fetus, and the next section it's a product. One of section conception. it's a baby with a heartbeat, and the next the next moment it's um products of conception. it's products of conception. So I passed the sack. Mm-hmm. And a lot of blood and mm-hmm. uh, my, what I can say about that moment was it felt, I felt ecstatic. Mm-hmm. I felt total relief that this, that my body had done her job and passed mm-hmm. this, like this, this, you know, good try, tried to make baby, didn't mm-hmm. work out. My body was like, I know what to do. Yep. And passed out the sack. And then I had, and then I, I took the sack out of the toilet and said, mm. Tim, look at this. And we looked at it. And I, wow. and I just looked at him and I was like, look what we did. That's amazing. Look what we did. And felt this joy. Yeah. And I think that's a part of grief. Like there's these moments of like kind of an intense up before the next slide yeah. down. So this is an interesting thing that you're saying that because I think for me, we can talk about this maybe a little more in depth later, but the interesting part about grief is I feel like people who are on the outside of it, it's just, it's all sad. It's one tone. It's black. It's dark. Yeah. But like the reality of grief is that like there's cadences and there's waves and it's super funny sometimes. Yeah. There's parts that are really cool. There's parts that are neat. There's parts that are like blowing your mind because your body's amazing and science is weird. And like trying to share that with certain people, they'll sort of meet you with like the veil of sadness where they're like, oh. The head tilt. Yeah, and you can just see it in their eyes that they're, like, just sad. And it's like they can't meet you in that place of being, like, this is sad and hilarious. This is sad and cool. This is terrible and joyful. 
And no, no fault to anyone else, but for me, that's been a really isolating experience sometimes, trying to share those moments and people just kind of like, yeah, like don't know. It's so monotonal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh, you just put words to something I've been feeling for so long, which yeah. is like, I'm just like, I appreciate you coming to me in that way. Like, I appreciate any way people come to me because exactly. it's better than not coming to me, which some people don't come to me. And I'm like, that's literally the worst for me. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. I can totally, yeah, that has been a thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. So where was I? You passed the sack. Yes. And, um, you know, spent the next, well, say around the sack, Tim and I did a ritual where we buried it in our garden, really which cool. was Tim's idea. And he, I could not hold space like I usually do in like, the spiritual woo-woo side of our marriage. I'm like, let's do this ritual. He was like, let's do this ritual and we'll do it. And I was like shaking and he, yeah, that was really powerful. But then I spent about the next six to eight months in Mm -hmm. grief, which is not like you said, with a black veil over my eyes, sitting in a room, a dark room. Mm -hmm. It was just a wild ride of like that happened. And Mm -hmm. that was hard, but I will say the person who showed up the most immediately and in the most empathetic way was you because unbeknownst to me, you had miscarried the month before the month before. So I passed the baton to you. (laughs) So God, I'm trying to think, I mean, you sort of did the lead up into when we started trying. So we started trying, we had that conversation with our women in the summer and we started trying in December, mm. and you're right, like conscious conscious conception is super weird. I had an IUD, so I had to like go to the doctor and have them take it out mm. for me to be able to try to have a child, which is norm- like normal in our modern way of controlling conception, but it felt really bizarre to like, I'm going to the doctor now to have a procedure to allow me to have a baby. It was weird. Yeah. And... Sort of leading up to that moment, I was 33 when that happened. So I'm a little older than you are. And I think kind of hearkening back to some of the early conversations that you and I had had, like at that cacao ceremony, I was petrified. Like when I met Steve, I was, I had, I had not yet decided that I wanted children. And so like, even before we even got to this point, I had about a five year struggle with like, do I want this? Do I not want this? Like, am I just wanting this because my husband wants this? And so there's just so many layers for me of kind of like exploring and pushing and digging and being willing to be vulnerable and being willing to be scared. And for me, I think what it was is I didn't feel like ambitious women were allowed to want children. Whoa. You know, it's like if you're a lady boss who's killing it, you're like, not going to let anything stand in the way between you and your goals and the achievements that you want. And if you have kids, you manage to just like navigate it. And I had this image of like a baby coming in and just like stomping all over everything that I had worked so hard to create. And part of it, like from a patriarchal standpoint, is that that wouldn't happen to my husband. He would have a baby, he would take some time off, and he would go back to work and get patted on the back and that would be that. Whereas like my agency would be in shambles. I would be making a quarter of what I was making. I would be, you know, and so like a lot of my anger around that was pointed at my husband, which was difficult for both of us. And I don't think he never pushed me, but 
it definitely took a couple years of me digging through those layers to realize like, what if this is true and what do I actually want? And so like all that to say, walking into a doctor's office, taking agency over my own fertility and deciding to step into that process felt really scary to me. It felt like I was kind of willfully stepping into this position where everything I had worked hard for could just go away. And that was going to be a part of it. We got pregnant in the first month too. (laughs) So I was pregnant in December and um, we found out in January. I'm so long ago. I'm forgetting all the the timeline behind it. The fog, like going through all of what's happened since. And um, we didn't tell anybody. So my husband is intensely private. He's an engineer and just (laughs) intensely private. And he didn't want to tell my mom, which my mom and your mom sound similar that like, there's just this really kindred close bond. And my sister, I have a sister. She's the other half of my heart. And, um, he didn't want to tell anyone. And I guess I just felt protective for his privacy. And two, like... He didn't want to tell anyone in case of miscarriage. Just, he, yeah, until, he wanted to wait. Yeah. He just wanted to wait a little bit until right. we were a little farther out. And it just... It was interesting because I realized that, like, of course, like, the first time around, I'm like, okay, sure. And it felt really great to have, like, this crazy life-altering secret that only he and I knew. It was really cool in one way. Hmm. And then I went to the restroom, and I was spotting, and I was like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. And How I, many weeks were you? Um, I want to say it was, like, six weeks. I think I was a little earlier than you were. Six or seven weeks. Mm-hmm. So with this one, I won't, I won't go into like the play by play with this one because it was, it was, it was, I was very just numb through the whole thing, but I basically went in same thing, radiology and Steve went with me and, um, when they, so the intravaginal ultrasound is sort of like this wand and they put it in your vagina and when the tech took it out, it was just covered in blood. And it was like that sort of like initiated the flood. And so I'm sitting on this table and this is very gruesome. I'm sorry, but that was the point at which things really started moving and bleeding on the table. Oh, totally. Just like a huge mess. Oh, babe. And so I was like, okay, uh, they don't, I don't need to wait for the radiologist. Like I know that this is happening. And I guess they said I was a little different in that. Like, I guess that particular pregnancy hadn't made it really beyond five weeks. So even though I was like six or seven, like it just was really small. I just, I just remember being really numb and not really knowing how to process it. And I think one thing that's interesting and hard that I have learned since then, but like haven't really sorted through is that not telling people was terrible. Like I realized that, um, I didn't get the joy of this moment where you're like, tell your mom. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she's so excited. Like I had to tell her I was pregnant and it didn't happen. And so I just felt like I was really robbed of like this joyful experience. Um, and that it was just sorrow. Since then we took the opposite approach with pregnancies. I've had three, same as you, two like full miscarriages and one chemical pregnancy and then have gone on to have several failed IVF cycles. But I've had some cycle or some pregnancies where I've then told people earlier and realized that that's also 
a total mess. Like yeah. there, there just there's isn't no winning. There's no winning. <laughs> there's no winning. And so it's like not telling people is terrible. Telling people is terrible. Yeah. There's no like safe path. This is what I was talking about with, sorry to interrupt, but That's okay. this is what I've been talking about with Tim. Ooh. Who's like, when we had our most recent miscarriage, his first thing was, you know, I knew we shouldn't have told anyone. Like, there was some sort of superstition he was, yeah. we both were sort of in. My, my, cause my response was, oh. oh, yeah, as if that caused it. That's not really what we were saying. That was just a grief response. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, I think what he was trying to like get at, and maybe me too, not to like put all of this on him, is like, what's the safest way to do this? Yeah. That's, n- sorry, that's not an option. Which is such an interesting thing because I've I've had this conversation with doctors. So to sort of fast forward, you know, getting into the IVF conversation or what do you, where do you go from here? Like it's been interesting sitting in doctor's appointments where they're talking about vulnerability and they're basically saying if you're a repeat loss person, unfortunately the reality is that there's not really a lot of science around it. We can't really point to why statistics show us that if you keep showing up and trying, you will have a live child at right. some point. Right. It's just a matter of how much grief can you go through and being willing to get back up on the horse and try again, knowing full well that it could end at any moment during those first like 12, 15 terrifying weeks. And yeah, so it, it's it's interesting just like how the grief is the layers of grief is so much different than like I'm grieving that pregnancy or that life. Like there's so many other small losses in the process. Yeah. Like let's talk about that. Like what are we grieving? Yeah. And how, because people show up however they show up. And, you know, I had some people come up to me and, or write me and be like, oh, I too have known loss. And that felt nice in ways. And then other people assuming how I felt and being dead wrong, but like I appreciated the effort, right. you know, <laughs> uh, but people say dumb things. They don't mean to, but they do. <laughs> I mean, I also blame society, like the way, you know, I was watching Downton Abbey earlier and it just like in the family way and like, <laughs> she's, she's confined. She must be confined kind of a thing. Like that's, that's at least my ancestral heritage is like one where talk of sex and like babies and bodies and vaginas is like in the other room. <laughs> so I think talk of miscarriage, oh, and death, right? right? So talk of miscarriage is like, how do we do this? What right. do we do? Like I told one person, someone asked me the other week, how are you? And I just was like, okay, I'll tell you. I'm grieving a, a miscarriage. I'm grieving another miscarriage. And they mm. just changed the subject. <gasps> Just change the I, subject. Uh, and I was like... I don't want to hate on that person, but that's also well, I, terrible. It, it immediately felt unsafe for me. Yeah. It, you know, vul- like the vulnerability of that experience was yeah. so horrifying. And I also feel that they probably felt the same way. Yeah. Like, they're like, I don't know what to do. Oh my God, I fucked up. You know, whatever. Right. I'm not going to assume. But yeah, it was rough. It was rough. You know what I feel like I've learned in that way, just to like posit this? I feel like going through... Holding this, this thing for two years, I feel like I have deeply seen firsthand that our culture does not know how to sit in that space. Yeah. Like I watch people struggle with how to respond. And conversely, this is so interesting on my third miscarriage, which was by far the worst of the three. It was like the most devastating. Um, I did have to have a DNC, which was the most horrific experience of my life. But I watched people not know how to respond to me and wish that they had re- reached out in different ways. 
while simultaneously having a good friend going through a divorce who I did not reach out to because I felt awkward and didn't know what to say. Right. And it's just like, it's kind of mind blowing where it's like when, like I have anger and frustration at the way that our society sits in that place. And at the same time, total sympathy, because I know that when the shoe is on the other foot, I just, I don't know what to do with my hands. And I just like back away and I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You and I, you had shared, uh, I don't want to force you to share anything about your third miscarriage. You don't want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do, when I went through this most recent one, mm-hmm. we had shared something. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of the experience of you and I sharing where like we found commonalities mm-hmm. and like have laughed at it. And it's been, oh. you know, the shared experience is really nice. But you had said that, um, that you went on the train after being told that it wasn't viable and that you and Steve didn't say a word. Oh my God. And I, I don't know if I ever told you this, how much I appreciate you saying that mm. because what had happened is we walked in, we strode in there. <laughs> Tim was ready to record the heartbeat and this time it was going to be it, you know? Yeah. And cause I had just, I just felt so pregnant mm-hmm. and the OB was sweeter you know she was sweet and she could say things but but you know we were all smiles and then it just got really quiet yeah which is crazy that we didn't recognize this until later but that experience with it being quiet and your experience with your ob is the same doctor you guys oh it's the same it's the same doctor (laughs) oh my god that was the same doctor it was the same doctor isn't that funny whoa or not like funny haha but like crazy interesting yeah yeah, so she got quiet and then, um, you know, just stated medically what she was observing, you know? And then yeah. and then I'm, Tim, I think, got there a little quicker because mm. he just kept looking at me with really wide eyes. Mm. And I was not, I was, I processed slow in those moments, which I don't love about myself, but it's true. I just was like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she was, she was telling me like two pads in two hours is too much for bleeding. Oh my god! If you're bleeding more than two pads in two hours, it's too much. And you go like, to the ER, and I'm like, what? What? Yeah. So and then you know, so we walk out, and I'm like, and we get down to the stairs, and by the time we get down to the stairs, I'm sobbing uncontrollably. Tim's holding me, mm-hmm. and then we parked our car around the corner. We get in the car, and we're driving the car, and it's dead silence. Yeah. And we don't know what to do, so we start picking a fight about. Totally. I don't know. Yeah, it was it was it was an interesting like that's an interesting thing to remember about ourselves, you know. As we we got devastating news, and we were processing it, and we were like, "How does one do this?" <laughs> like, talk about finding new parts of your marriage. Yeah, and I had to keep reminding myself. This became my my mantra. We have never lost a third pregnancy before. Yeah. We are not very good at it yet. Right. And even like it was different than the first and the second. You know, you think at a certain point. Everyone's we'll, different. We'll get good at it. And like we, if we have a fourth, <laughs> we've never lost a fourth pregnancy before. So the fact that we're like stumbling forward and picking fights and yelling at each other and that we're not on the same page and I'm not okay and he, he feels ter- like that's all fine. And I have to constantly remind myself of that in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about isolation and partnership when like Jesus. your partner 
is not experiencing the physical symptoms, which mm-hmm. are hard. Mm-hmm. I, I I found myself. I have some. I have a lot of pregnant friends right now. I'm so happy for them. It is hard for me. I'm yes. so happy for them. It's like I always think of holding an apple in one hand and an orange in the other, and you're like, they don't cancel each other out. I love you. I'm happy for you. I also can't be around you because it is hard for me. It's or so like, hard. Yeah. yeah, right. Or like, could we not talk about the pregnancy the whole dinner? Like, can we just talk about something else? Right. And I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Anyways, I was in front of a pregnant friend, and um, I was talking about how painful this recent miscarriage was. Mm-hmm. I bled for 24 days and had oh my really, God, that's so really much. intense uterine yeah. spasms. And and then I, I was like, it's so bad. And I was like, and you know what? I bet it's nothing compared to labor. Mm-hmm. That's also true, and it's hard. Yeah. But um, what I was saying about partners is um, – you know, like Tim experiences grief differently. Tim mm-hmm. processes emotions differently. He's an engineer brain, yeah. you know, and like he, I, I, I've realized since we've, you know, this, this ain't our first rodeo, so to speak, mm-hmm. that, uh, I really can't expect him to be grieving the way I am. And I really need him to be present to the fact that I am grieving and then it looks, you know, it's just been such an interesting it's such a weird dance. road to walk yeah. with a partner and with like my close community, even my friends who are like so there for me, who are like, how do we do this? I know you, you had shared, I know you're working on this like creative piece <laughs> talking about grief, which I'm so happy you're doing. And you had shared a cartoon you did oh, yeah. showing that your grief ball was bigger than his grief ball. Right, right. And I thought that was so poignant. Yeah. So to, I'm going to back up a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit about that moment in that room and kind of jump forward. But so with that same doctor, we had a similar experience where, well, and this is, this is what's been so hard. With the first miscarriage, we never got a heartbeat. With the second one, we didn't get a heartbeat. We just didn't get that far. With the third one, this is kind of funny, when I got pregnant, I was summiting mountains and peeing outside on rocks in the freezing eight, like 12 degree weather. And I ended up getting an infection in my lady parts. And so I started like having bacterial vaginosis. Totally. That's a pregnancy thing. It is a pregnancy thing. And then it was also like also from whatever I was doing. Right. And being out. Being out. And being a mountain woman. Being a mountain woman. And so I was going into the doctor every couple of weeks for them because they were like, we know you're newly pregnant. We know that you miscarry. And so they're doing all these tests. And I went in to go get something done and they caught a heartbeat and I was alone and Steve wasn't there. (gasps) And so when we went skipping off to this appointment, I was so excited for him to see the heartbeat. I was trying to describe it and it's so amazing. And we get in there and she's oh. fishing around and trying to see it. And she just, I, I, this is what I had told to Becca was that I will never forget. It was like the air had been just vacuumed out of the room. She went quiet and it was like, all of a sudden there was ice in my veins. Cause I knew, and Steve's like looking at me being like, where, what, what's happening, what's happening. And then of course she's, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm noticing. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be at eight or nine weeks and I'm seeing that you're tracking at seven. And the funny thing is that during my seventh week, I felt all my symptoms really dramatically dip. And I called my doctor and I was like, I'm not feeling as nauseous. I'm not as tired. Like I'm worried that something is happening. And they were like, you're fine. Blah. And then of course, (laughs) just take me seriously. Yeah. Of course the pregnancy had ended that week. And you know, actually I think we might even have been 10 weeks along. So it was like, just wait till your 10 week appointment. So for three weeks I'm on edge. 
But after that, so what I had said to Becca was that we got the news and walked down the hall and into the waiting room and down the stairs and down Market Street. Or She was in an office on Market Street, so we walked like down Post and five blocks to Montgomery and down into the, the station and waited for the train and got on the N line and went five block five stops all the way to DeBose Triangle and got out and walked the three blocks to our house and upstairs and like the entire time nobody said a word. And we both just laid down on our carpet and started howling. I mean it was so sad. It was so intense. And <sighs> I won't really go into the full DNC because I think that's it's really quite traumatic, but I chose to have a DNC just because with the other two, I I just felt so jerked around that I wasn't able to like live my life. It was like this miscarriage thing was sort of owning my life. Whereas with a DNC, I could schedule the date. I could go in, they'd do the procedure and you literally are done bleeding. You can start trying to have a baby the next day. You don't want to, but you can. And so it felt really nice to just have like something that I could dictate and like say, I'm not being whipped around by this. Yeah. And I will never forget. It was so painful. It was so painful. The procedure. The procedure was painful. So to kind of jump forward to this art project, what ended up happening was that my, you know, that was probably one of the like hardest things I've been through and one of the lowest moments in our journey. And we went home and I had a friend's drop off lasagna and we like sat on the floor and we didn't talk to anybody for like a week yeah. And it was really dark. And then Steve got up and went to work. And it was like he was he was Steve the engineer. Yeah. And I just felt like I got left holding the bag. Like I was not okay. And he just like got to go to work and like be a person who takes meetings and talks about things. And so like the cartoon that you're talking about, Becca, like now with like a year plus of time I've been drawing these little cartoons about like the interesting things that I've learned about grief and how grief is so different and how it's interesting and it's complicated and so there's this cartoon girl and this cartoon boy and like the grief is like this like I take the pencil and I like shade it in and scribble it and it's got like little feet and it's got little arms but like no face yeah and so, like, the boy's little grief as maybe, like, comes up to his knees. It's, like, a cute little, like, oh, I'm cute grief. And, like, the girl's grief is, like, as tall as she is. And just having to navigate that intersection with your partner where even though the same thing happened to us at the same time, we were occupying the same room when we got the same news, his grief got to be small and he got to move on. And I just, my, I had to figure out, like, how do I deal with this monstrous full body size grief? And why do I get to have this? And you don't. And you're not as sad as me. Fuck you for not being as sad as me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. It's it's so bizarre. Have you, did you, you talked to him about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know. <laughs> this. I mean, that was one of the biggest contentions. And I think part of what you were saying is, or part of what we were saying is like learning that we've never had a third miscarriage before. And so yeah, just having some grace and space for each other in those moments. <gasps> yeah. My, um, 
We went to, we go to couples counseling once a month and we went right in the middle of it. Well, I canceled it and then I was like, no, we should go. And I went the next week and uh, Tim was sort of in the move on space. And I was like, I am definitely not moved on. And I'm just like crying, crying, crying. Mm -hmm. And our couples counselor looked at us and said, you know, it's okay to not be okay right now. Like Mm -hmm. you can go crazy right now if you want you have every right to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And he used those words, go crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and like, this is, this is a situation in which it would be warranted. Mm-hmm. And I really was grateful because I was not ready to be okay yet. Mm-hmm. And I think Tim really got that finally. He was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when I fired off this text to like that's 20, right. 20 of like my dearest girlfriends and was like, I need you all to hold us energetically, do whatever you need to do. You can reply to this thread. You can mass texts are annoying for some people. You can leave it, but you can light a candle, like do whatever Tim and I need to be held so that we can fall apart. You know, it's so interesting. I think I've maybe lightly mentioned this to you before. I have learned so much about how to be in this space from watching you go through your experiences. Like hearkening back to that first conversation, having conversations with women who have children and being vulnerable to say like, I am scared, help please. Or we are not okay. Can you support us? And then of course, I'm sure you got like a deluge of meals and texts and love. Whereas in those moments, my go-to is to not communicate. It's to like sure. bar the door, go inside, not return. Like actually, I think for one of them, it might have been my third. I handed Steve my phone and I said, "Make it go away." Like yeah. I don't want to hear from anybody. Good for you. And so he like turned off all the notifications and texted a bunch of people and said, "Like leave her alone. Just do not." Um, which I think is a like one way that I process, but it's been interesting to see. I'm like, oh, there's this way that you can have people love you in that moment. <laughs> and you remember what you did you were in hawaii oh yeah that's right and you can i say this yeah okay and you i feel the same way i feel like you have sort of led the way in grief honoring in ways for me like we're teachers for each other like yeah. this is the whole thing with sisterhood and that you said like look to the waves be with mm-hmm. the waves and you were in hawaii and you were sending me videos of just waves of yeah. water yeah and I would watch them yeah. over and over mm. and over again. Mm. They were they were profoundly healing mm. in that way to just feel waves move. And actually with this with this last miscarriage, Tim and I have been going to the beach and being yeah. with the waves. It just yeah. it's very cleansing. I don't know if that's the word, but it moves things. You yeah. know, not that I want to be out. I mean, I honor however long this is gonna take. I'm definitely still in the grief tunnel. But yeah. Um, yeah, that, thank you for that. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> I just remember, so with our third, I was craving like thrashing, wild, mm. angry waves, like, like the kind of waves that you see in the winter along the rugged California coast where there's rocks and like the waves are just like smashing. And so we spent a weekend up in Mendocino and I was like, I don't know what it is. I have to get myself to that place. And I spent like a whole day just sitting and watching the waves just like pounding these rocks. And I don't think Steve got it. I don't, 
I mean, maybe he did, maybe he didn't in that way. I think it was more for me. But I just kept saying to him, like, this is how I feel. Like, I don't, I don't know other ways to say it, but like, this is what's happening in here. And we did a ceremony at the beach. It actually was really cool. I channeled my inner Becca because I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to make a ritual. And then I remembered you talking about like making your own meaning versus like going out and finding meaning and just like appropriating it or taking lead from someone else. And so like, it was really cool and cute. Like we bought some Palo Santo and we found the, like there was these candles and Steve was like, well, we know one was a girl, so we'll do a pink candle and we don't know the other genders. So maybe like one for sky and one for water. So, or like, Steve. yeah, it was so beautiful. So wow. we like lit candles and we like wrote some poems and, and then we got totally naked and like plunged into the water at like six oh. o'clock in the morning. And what I was really surprised about is I expected it to be like this heavy, grief because I was feeling so like thrashy inside and we the water was it was in January it was was so cold (laughs) it's like five o'clock in the morning or you know sunrise whenever that is probably like eight in January and we jump into the water and like coming out of the water we both were just laughing we were totally laughing and it was like this interesting lesson that like all of this can be light too you know like it's I don't know. It, it moved. Was, it moved it. Totally. So that there was like a layer. This is how it feels for me. I, I'm not going to speak for you. Yeah. But it felt like it moved some sort of heavy layer so that something else could release like through break. laughter. Yeah. Whatever it was. That's beautiful. Yeah. I didn't know that. Sorry. Yeah. Don't be sorry. It's <laughs> very much yours. Yeah. But that that was part of it. Like I just remember being in that space right after that miscarriage and just feeling like for whatever reason, like water was the calling. Water was like yeah. come be in me, be around me. And so I don't know, just, you know, when I got that text, I was in Hawaii and I just was like, I don't know how to help you, but here's some things that maybe helped me. Maybe it will help you. I love you. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's like literally perfect. It's good. Just the authentic nature of that was really powerful. Also what Jenny did. Yes. Delivering food is always a safe go-to whenever anyone's in grief, at least I'll say as someone who's miscarried several times. Um, I've had meals show up on my doorstep. You talked about someone who just delivered lasagna. Hot lasagna. To your doorstep. You, I got a text that said, check your front door. (laughs) And I was home with Tim. I know. (laughs) And like, you know, in my sweats. Mm -hmm. And somehow you stealthily left um, a bondigas, Mm -hmm. your grandmother's recipe Mm -hmm. on from your Mexican lineage. Yeah. It's the most delicious soup I've ever had in my life. I still dream about it. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just feeling like what can people take away besides just being in this conversation with us is like, well, I think it's okay to be like stumbly and like food is always nice. (laughs) Well, food and don't stay. I don't know if you had people that stayed, but like I was really, I was really grateful that the people that did show up for me weren't like. I'm bringing you this food and I'm going to like come in and ask how you are. Cause like, in how that are mo- you? Yeah. Like, how do I even answer that? Right, yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't know if I have feet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> please don't, please don't come over. <laughs> so food is great. Don't stay. Um, yeah. Yeah. What else has been helpful for you? Like what's been really, cause I think that's the thing is when you're in that moment where you're like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I think sometimes it can be helpful for people to have things to do with their hands. Yeah. I've, 
or maybe things that weren't helpful that you yeah. just want to warn people. Well, and like this is, I should say, this is all very individual, right? Mm-hmm. We're not giving you the prescription for how to do this. Exactly. Jenny exactly. and I are just sharing our stories, um, which have their own differences. Yeah. I I would say I had friends who kept checking in every few days. Yeah. And they, and they would say, how can I support you? And I, in the, I would say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, or I wouldn't even respond. Yeah. I did the whole, like, I can't. I'm actually still a little bit in the... I can't. I, I, feel, I have bad friend feelings right now where I'm like, <laughs> I'm not really showing up that well. And then I go into this, like, shadow side of, like, they hate me, which is, like, <laughs> totally interesting yeah. medicine. But, yeah, I'm struggling to, like, come back into, like, being fully in the community. But yeah. I really appreciate the friends who just get it and just keep checking in, even if I don't respond. Yes. And even... And not being like, what do you need? Yeah. Which is really about them feeling better about themselves. Yeah, or it's people that are good meaning. But like the root of that question is like give me instructions, which when you're in that place you're like, it's like I I'm ill-equipped to do that. Right. Like yeah. I don't know what I need. So I would have people offer and they'd say, "Does this feel good?" See, if I did this and I'd good. say, I would say no most of the time, mm. but thank you. Yeah. I Which so appreciate one, that's it. That's wonderful when you can say no, but thank you. Yeah. Versus like, just tell me what to do. And you're like, great, now I have tasks. And yeah. <laughs> I'm yes. feeling crappy. So maybe that's like a nice way to frame that. Yeah. And I had, yeah, I had people just keep checking in. And I think that was really good with the whole isolation thing was yeah. people are here. They're thinking of me. Mm-hmm. Or even just people saying, I've been thinking of you so mm-hmm. much. I used to be like, is that an awkward thing to say? No. no. It's so nice to know you're being thought of. Yeah. And this whole constant context of us yearning to belong again, to just yeah. know that someone's thinking of you mm-hmm. was really good for me. Yeah. What about you? My mom would text me every day and say, how are you doing today? Oh, nice. And I, I, I realized what like a night for me what like a nice frame that was it wasn't like how are you doing but it like made it small where it was like what's what's the thing today and like sometimes I would answer her sometimes I wouldn't mm-hmm. um actually the thing that was the most helpful and granted this is something that not everyone can do and not everyone has the space to do but in those places I was really numb my mom and my sister were my own bridges to my own feelings. So when I told them, mm-hmm. I was like kind of robotic and like this is happening and they were just like weeping. And that was like oh, a bridge wow. to my own grief where right. I was like, I love my sister. She said I can cry for her even though I don't really know how to cry for myself in this moment because it's so like yes. new. So I think – I think this isn't a prescription, but like it was nice when other people could advocate or like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost like be an ambassador to my own feelings. Mm. So maybe like the the invitation for other people is like, don't be like, if you're clamming up, that's, that's a good, that can actually be really beautiful Mm. versus feeling like you have to like be strong and be put together for this person. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, honor your process and then have those safe people to witness you, mm-hmm. to help you reconnect to the mm-hmm. truth as a po- Yeah, because there's a little performance stuff that comes out, right? Where you're like, how should I look or how should I act? And so mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but when I when you talk about numbness, mm-hmm. I find, well, what happened was I miscarried and then I 
I had to immediately (laughs) host a birthday party for my family and then host a retreat. Mm -hmm. And luckily the nature of my work is I could say I had a hot water bottle on my stomach the whole time and was like, I'm having a miscarriage. Let us sit in circle and be with the ancestors (laughs) and the women, all the women who came to Rooted Magic. I love you so much. Thank you. Like, yeah. we, I don't have to like, it wasn't like a lecture series. You know what I mean? Right. Where you're like, I have to boss lady now. Yeah. But that all that to say, like, there were moments where I found myself shutting off yeah. the like deeper, darker emotional layers and going into performance mode, which is just my nature. Like we all have a part of ourselves. Like I have a performance part where I can really turn on the veneer mm-hmm. and, um, and that's sort of my numbing where people are like, how are you going to go? I'm great. I really feel complete with this. I'm good. I'm great. Don't worry about me. Two days after it happens. And then, and then I have to be like, you know what? No. Or, or I have friends who are like, really? And like touch my arm and ask more. And then I get ones that I feel safe with. And that vulnerability is established. You're one of those where their tears, their witness, their sadness Mm -hmm. can bring me back in bring me back to my home to myself yeah. and home to what's mm-hmm. true. And it's so healing. Yeah. And you know what I remember just with you, God, my heart was so heavy with you on this last one, but what I admired and what I thought was good for anyone who maybe is going through grief is like, I actually don't think there's anything wrong with performance sometimes. Oh, it's like, like there, survival, right? We right, got to do there, what we got to do. There are times where you're like this, my mom is dying or I am going through a miscarriage or my dad, I just found out my dad has cancer and I have to go to work and be a person, put on a thing, whatever you have to do. And I, I actually think that like, maybe there's not shame in that way. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with that conscious choice of being like, I'm not going to feel for the next couple days Mm. off and like doing what you need to do to Mm. get to a place where you are safe Mm. to then come back into those feelings. Whereas I think like the encouragement is like, oh, be in the feelings and don't deny anything and process the grief. And I think all that's great, but I also think But can you operate heavy machinery in that place? Not always. Right. You know, or whatever the equivalent is. Sometimes your life is like... In this moment today, I have to operate every machinery. So like veneer on, I'm going to shove those feelings way down and be great until Mm. Monday when I have the space to like Mm. get back in touch with this. I think that's fine. Yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. And of course, I always like put a ancestral, my ancestral glasses on Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, oh, that's a learned like inherited behavior for survival because I think about how many miscarriages our ancestors had, you know, Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Like I, I remember I was asking my mom, you know, like if you had history of miscarriages is like becoming a thing. And she was like, I don't know. I just had heavy periods. Like the knowledge we have now is sometimes maddening, mm-hmm. you know, but to, to think just beyond miscarriages, grief, like mm-hmm. war, famine, yeah. immigration, or- dying at sea and just being able to like survive and push through, you know, right. like I'm thinking of what you, your ancestor is at the Filomeno one that like, yeah, in like, had, yeah, had just like, there are these moments and my grandmother who immigrated from Mexico at 21 and like had a disabled husband early in their marriage. And so she had to like carry a family of seven on her own. <sighs> but there are moments where like in those places, those women, like we are here because they like hungered down and did what had to be done. Yeah. And they didn't have time to just like sit around and like, yeah. You know, and granted, hopefully that's not the end of the story, right? Like, right. 
processing all these things and sitting with them and being with them is so vital. But like, I think ancestrally, yeah, there is some, some sense of like honoring the reality of survival as well. Yeah. And I, the survival and resilience that yeah. I'm building resilience without having to shut off my heart, but just knowing the times when to like turn on the heart a little yeah. more. And when I just, I mean, you were, you were describing all that you've gone through and you were running an agency the entire time. <laughs> oh God, like, yeah. let's just be clear, you know, yeah. like you had that week, mm-hmm. you know, where you just like shut out the world, but you also mm-hmm. up until recently were running Mm-hmm. this agency with a partner and now, you know, you're onto your next thing, but like, we're also functioning in life. And so I think totally. about how many moms of mothers of six who are going through miscarriage or mm-hmm. infant loss or whatever it is, a sick child, or they're mm-hmm. sick themselves. Like we do have to call upon our resilience through our grieving process without mm-hmm. shutting off. Yeah. And that's just a, a journey I'm walking where I'm like, no, that's quite a thing to learn how to do. Yeah. I think what I like about it and kind of going back to the veil, the black veil, is that like, I feel like what I'm just learning over and over and over and over again is that like, it's nuanced and there are mid-tones and there are light tones, you know, and like, it's almost, it's like becoming friends with grief and like really understanding like, what does this inky purple feel like and look like? And what does this light gray feel like and look like? And being able, feeling a little bit more fluent versus, you know having it feel so monotone, yeah, you know? Right. And, and surrendering to what you don't know and what you mm-hmm. haven't experienced yet. Like a true, like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> That's the Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, say more. So you and I are in a position of, well, this is what I say. Mm-hmm. I know I'm meant to be a mother. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when it'll happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have shared that you're, have, you have been on the IVF journey. You're currently Mm -hmm. in a pause Mm -hmm. and, uh, Tim and I are in a pause, I guess. I don't even know what we're in. We're in a recovery, recovery time, you know, and, and, um, my doctor said similar to your, oh, this is the same doctor. doctor. Which we didn't know until like yeah, last week. Said, you know, I I feel confident you can have a mm-hmm. a child. You know, it's it's whether or not you can. I mean, you have to be prepared to endure loss through that process. Which yeah. I was telling you about. I really appreciated that. Feels like a very ancestral perspective of like mm-hmm. the ability to endure loss mm-hmm. in order to create life. Mm-hmm. Feels very powerful, especially like at this time of year of like yeah the waning times, but. So yeah, so what I'm what I'm asking or or bringing into this conversation is is you and I are still walking into something we don't know. We can't see 4 feet in front of us. And you know, we it's nice to have each other and it's nice mm-hmm. to be able to put words to this, but I mean, how how do you work with that? <laughs> I can feel that I've grown in that when we first tried, were trying to conceive, we got pregnant right away. I want to say there was like six months in between our miscarriage and our second pregnancy. And then there was like five and a half months between our second like chemical pregnancy miscarriage and our third pregnancy. And in those trying to conceive periods, <laughs> I became like a science project where it was like I'd wake up. I don't know if you ever did like basal body temperature. Oh, but for sure. Yeah. So it was like the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you pee on an ovulation predictor kit, 
pee stick and then you measure your basal body temperature and there's these apps that are like, what does your cervical mucus look like? So you're like a science experiment right away. You're like taking all this data and you're looking at charts and like, I think I'm going to ovulate in 1.5 days. We should have like all the sex and (laughs) at this position at this time and the moon is going to be here in the sky. Like it's Oh, you can go there. Oh my God. Light the candle and do the thing and the fertility ritual. Well, that's at least what I'm doing over here. Yep. Yes. (laughs) All, All of it. Yes to all, all of that. And like, I just look at that Jenny and there was a, that person that believed that she had some control Mm. and not like in a way of like type A control, but more like maybe that I had agency to like help this go one way or another. And then IVF and like that is a whole other, a whole other podcast. So I won't really get into like all of the blow by blows and painful things there, but just you know, well, how many transfers did you do? We did two transfers. Yeah. Um, both of them failed. And yeah. in my last transfer that was in August, we found out that it failed in September. My doctor basically said, we can keep going and you are likely to have a child. But the fact that you've had two failed transfers with gen- genetically tested normal embryos makes me believe that there's something immunologically with your body that is preventing and thwarting live birth. So if you want the shortest and fastest route to child, maybe you consider getting a surrogate. And I was kind of on board mentally with this idea, but like having her tell me, you may never conceive and carry a child. You may not have that ability. I didn't realize that that was something that I wanted. I just felt like I got shot in the chest. Yeah. So that was really, really difficult and painful. But even walking through the shots and the, t- like, I mean, that is like science experiment 2.0. Oh, the IVF shots yeah, and the, shots the patches. And the, and the patches and the timing and like, yeah. you have calendars on calendars on calendars. So all that to say, flash forward to now, Steve and I are like kind of lightly trying behind the scenes just while we're on a break because so far it hasn't been successful for us. So we don't feel like it's like risky per se. But even and you're also like having sex with your partner, which is nice, which is fine. <laughs> you know, yeah, just I an don't enjoyable like, connecting like, thing, like injecting myself with hormone. Like it's yeah. nice to be just like in a place where it's like we we are unhormoned and connecting, and it's it's fine. But what I can feel is different now is that I can wait two weeks to take a pregnancy test. Yeah, whereas. Jenny two years ago was like, when is the most early possible moment that I can know when I'm going to be And I just feel like that part of me has mellowed. Mm. It's still there. I still think about it, but it's just like, you know, almost if you like think about like stretching leather or something like over and over and over and it becomes a little more soft and a little more pliable. And like, I just feel like that part of me has just mellowed out. And like kind of to answer your question about how you feel I have this sense that my kids are out there. I feel them. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to get to me, but they're there. And yeah. so, um, yeah, just kind of like walking into the unknown, a little less anxious that things are totally out of my control. Right. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I know you're sort of still in the fresh. I've at least had some space. I mean, it depends on the minute you ask me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because um, a a week ago I was like, 
Let's go. <laughs> Let's get back on yeah. the horse. I was like, Tim, clear your calendar. <laughs> this is what's up. Yeah. And then, you know, this week I'm like, oh, we're a week we're a week out from moving house. Oh, you know, and, right. and, and I really want space to nest with him and and close out the year and be in winter mm-hmm. and just like energy wanes this time of year, right? So my energy's waning and mm-hmm. I feel like I'm still recovering from, you know, I'm still in the grief process and the, I'm still recovering from the fire smoke. Ugh. Like I just feel like, oh, maybe it's rest period. <laughs> but like that's just, that's today in this moment and tomorrow mm-hmm. I could be like, let's go! But like I'm not driving this car. Right. I'm not driving this car. And I feel like when you talk about where you are with with your journey, mm-hmm. I just feel like you're driving a little ahead of me okay. where I'm like, oh, it must be so cool to feel a little more comfortable with being out of control, you know, and it makes sense given what yeah. you've navigated. I um, I don't know. I also want to acknowledge that like I'm my, like age has a lot to do with this, mm-hmm. you know, like I have friends who are in their like early forties and it mm-hmm. definitely feels more urgent. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is that, and yes, I turned 35 years this year and that was really difficult. That's technically geriatric pregnancy age. I technically am in the point where they're like, if you're 35 and over, we change all the rules because you're old now. It's called geriatric. Oh my gosh. Isn't that messed up? (laughs) (laughs) You're an old pregnant lady. So like in that feeling, do you ever feel like time is slipping through your hands? No. You don't. That's so good. No. And I think... Hold on to that as long as you can. And I think that's my age. Yeah. I really do. I... I, I don't. Tim does. He's a little older than mm-hmm. me. He's, I'm forgetting his age right now. <laughs> he's in his late 30s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's Steve's age. Mm-hmm. Okay. Steve's 38. <laughs> yeah. I think Tim's 30. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. But um, Tim is feeling it, you know, yeah. but he, but, you know, men can just sire a child <laughs> any old time. They just, yep. There's no tipping, ticking time clock for right, them. Right, right. So I know I don't, I don't have that. But when I think about having more than one, it's sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah. But then I get into planning mode, and then I get into planning like, sort is of, so dangerous around grief. Or at least for me, it is. I don't know well, if it's we, been for you. We, that was the first thing we touched upon in like our earlier miscarriages. <laughs> Two years ago. Yeah. Where, where, Back at the beginning when yeah. we were baby miscarriers. Yeah, exactly. Where you were like, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm really just sad because I had I had visioned it all. I had yeah. visioned Tim was going to – Tim was looking at strollers on Amazon. And yep. I wanted one of those round cribs. And oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I went, I went for it and I knew what color the nursery was going to be. And mm. I was – getting ready to send an email to all my mom friends to see if they could like donate their gently used items. And I knew what kind of, I knew I wanted to have like a blessing way around May day. Like, I'll just say it. Like I had, I had, it was visceral, like all five senses. Like I had a vision and you know, this baby was going to be due around like uh, the harvest time, the end of September. And I was Mm. like, Oh, and then we're going to have like, we're going to have like winter together to nest in. And that feels so cosmic. And like, I was looking yeah. into the birth chart, like I was going there yeah. and, um, you know, and I think we all have a right to go there. It's a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, even, I think even if you're early on and you're afraid of miscarrying, like it's your right to go there. 
Well, and that's then, what I mean about the blissful pregnancy. Like, yes. That is beautiful. It's so fun. And fun and exciting. And yes, and yes, and yes to all of that. And then should you have a loss, it's really hard. Yeah. I almost felt like my first loss was me mourning my plans. The plans. More than the child. Exactly. And only because I felt like the child, like, and everyone has their own spiritual way that they think through this. For me, I feel like my first child is my first child and my second is my second. And I have this vision of like, them piercing through the spiritual world into the physical world and they're just having trouble getting bodies. Hmm. And so like, I don't feel like that child was lost to me. And maybe it's like, I have to think about it that way or else I won't be okay. Yeah. But so I, it was like, my first child is still going to be my first kid. Right. It's just like that cosmic set of alignment where my baby was born or due in early September. It was like right around my dad's birthday or maybe it was, it was in August, July or August. And so like I knew where I wanted my baby shower and like you have all these things. And then like Candyland, right? You hit the big slide, go back to zero. None of those things come true. And like a lot of that grief was the loss of the vision, the loss of the plans, the loss of how old we were going to be. You know, and at this point we've been trying so long that like in my plans, we were going to have an 18 month old and starting on our second child. Yeah, and right. you know, we're still here. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah, the lo- the death of the plans, the so, grief of the plans, and that's so, not silly. I feel like it's no. really important that I say that it's not silly to plan and Mm-mm. it's not silly to grieve the plans. It's no. very important. But now have you learned that like do you feel like with as you move forward that you find yourself not making plans or trying trying not to Well, make plans? I, I, hmm. Um I'm nervous to make plans. If I answer it really honestly, mm-hmm. I'm nervous to make plans. Tim is like a no plan dude. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, mm-hmm. but I will, yeah. I will, but yeah. I think, yeah, I think I'll just be gentler with it. Yeah. You know, I, um, I don't love the when's your due date question. That feels like, can we just be here? <laughs> can yeah, we just be here in this yeah. thing? I understand due dates important and all that stuff. It, you know, it says how far along you are and all that, but there's something with the due date that sort of pulled me out of being asked that pulled me out of plans. And I just liked being in this dreamy place. And maybe that's like my safe way of planning. My yeah. like protective bubble is like, yeah. okay, this might not happen. I understand the risks. I'm terrified. I'll lose it. And I yeah. can at least think about, you know, whatever the round crib or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. 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 That's real. Was there anything else you felt it was important to share or you need a catharsis around? That's kind of a big question, but we didn't really go into this with a huge plan. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I think that feels good. Yeah. It feels like we're reaching. Feel? Great. This was, I, I admit this was, um, important for me to do personally, mm-hmm. especially because I've kept this one pretty close. My first I shared on social media, which felt really good. Mm -hmm. And, um, like poetry was coming out of me and Mm -hmm. a lot of people were responding to me and I was, it was really wonderful. And this time that just wasn't the path I needed. Mm -hmm. I needed time in the cocoon. Mm -hmm. And so this feels like the way I want to do it this time, which is connect with you, cultivate a sense of sisterhood and really, I feel us being witnessed by like the greater thread of woman mm. in humanity yeah. because, you know, we're in, we, we are in the miscarriage world and mm. there are women who are in like 
like the late term miscarriage world or, mm-hmm. or child loss or ecstatic birth or mm-hmm. death. There's like, I just think about the cycle of birth and death and that it's actually not just birth and death. It's this, mm-hmm. this vast spiral of all the experience of being a human and being alive. And mm-hmm. I think I would always sort of diminish the miscarriage thing because I was like, well, but there are people have a worse off than us mm-hmm. quote worse off or, there are people having births and there are people having deaths, but I'm just sort of feeling this power and you and I saying in this moment or whenever you're listening to this, like we are in this experience of woman right now. Yeah. We are holding it. We are claiming it. We yeah. are walking it. Yeah. And that um, feels very healing for me. So I really appreciate you saying yes to this invitation <laughs> and sharing your story. I know it's really um, it can be very tender. Obviously, we're in a very tender space and yeah. and vulnerable. And thank I you. I appreciate the offer. I just, yeah. I mean, it's been interesting. It's interesting that some people through my journey have said, like, no one talks about this. We should talk about this more. And I remember having moments in the early days where I was like, people don't talk about it because other people are stupid and y'all say dumb things to hurting people. (laughs) And not to be rude or mean, like, again, I have been that person. But, like, sometimes I have not talked about it because I don't want to put myself out there. But I also think that, like, those people who are like, people don't talk about it, they're on to something in that as women – I think I love your perspective that like ancestrally this happens. Yes. I think it's I, normal. It is normal. It is a part of having family and or trying to create a family. I actually think it's happening at a larger scale now than it ever has in history because we didn't have the tools to know when we were five minutes uh, pregnant. Uh-huh. We didn't know until we were like 10 weeks or something because you were like, eh, things are kind of late. I guess I'll just wait. Or, or like I'm puking and constipated. I guess I'm with right. child. Or like <laughs> I don't, my, my prairie skirt doesn't fit anymore, yeah. Yeah. right? Yes. Uh, versus now they have these tests that like literally will let you know six days early and that's the earliest you can know because your body is not physically pregnant before that moment. So, like, I think that the the amount of this stage has grown since our ancestors. Sure. And so I just appreciate you wanting to shed light to, like, this present moment and this present. I almost think of it like a swirl that yes. I, unfortunately, have not been able to get out of yet, but yeah. hope that one day we both will. Oh. I really hold that intention for both of us. I feel the desire. I feel yeah. us claiming it for ourselves openly, like in public. Which makes me want to <laughs> vomit. <laughs> very, it's very vulnerable. Totally. But um, but I I know I know motherhood is coming for us. Mm. We just don't know how and we don't know when. Or where. Or where. Or whose body that baby might come out of. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> or at least for me, that's true. That's something we're actively thinking For me, maybe too. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, well, um, I love you. I love you too. so much. Thank you for this. Of course. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred, and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.